Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. This is the World Cup Special Preview Edition. I am Ed Mallion, Sports Editor of The Independent, and alongside me today, uh, just one person in the studio... But it is Archie Football writer Miguel Delaney. Hello, Miguel. Hello. Um, we do have Jack Pitbrook dialing in on the phone. He is already on his way to Rapino, England's base for the World Cup. That's about was it an hour north of St. Petersburg, uh, where he'll be based for most of the tournament. Uh, Johnny Lou is having a few days off before he heads off to, and he's going to be based in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. You and I will be based in, in Moscow. You're going to be doing a lot of traveling around. Yeah based from from there yeah i'm going to kind of stay put and run things in moscow critch is going to be our kind of spare man to go off and you know when stuff kicks off get yeah. in the mixer get his nose in the dirt a lot a maybe bit. it's kind of shows maybe some of the logistics of the world cup it's probably the most vast country the world cup's been ever held in and yet to get between places no matter where you are you pretty much have to come back to moscow i think i think in my in the first weekend of the tournament i'm in sachi for spain portugal and rostov is really close on the map so yeah, it yeah. looks like it's an hour drive it's actually eight hours on a train but to get from Sochi to Rostov I have to go back up to Moscow and get a connecting flight back uh, that's so like, that's fun like if you're going to go from Newcastle to Hull and yeah. you have to go via London uh, but on a much much bigger scale yeah. so um, the World Cup is is virtually upon us um, Wednesday night we, we've got the FIFA Congress and, and the big decision on, on World Cup 2026, which I guess there's no point going too much detail into now because basically it's going to be US or Morocco. Either way, there'll be a massive storm. Mm. Um, and the, uh, the reckoning is the US are going to pull it out of the bag now, aren't they? They've, they've got a bit. They've got the they, Saudi they've, votes. they've got some friends to help them. Uh, let's put it that way. So I think that's going to play out on Wednesday night. Hopefully, we'll be able to deal with that in a, in a podcast late on Wednesday night. Um, the plan still is, uh, dear listener, uh, subscribers, um, that we will do a podcast every day from Russia. Um, I am somehow responsible for that. So it's going to be very difficult. Uh, I've never edited a podcast before, um, but I am sure it's going to yeah. be fine. I'm sure it can't be too difficult. Uh, we usually do everything in one take anyway. To get the libel. As well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just the libelous stuff. The swear words can stay. Um, and we will also be... Uh, obviously getting phone calls in from, from Jack Pitbrook, who will be following England round. Where are they going? Kaliningrad, Nizhny Novgorod. Their first game is in Volgograd. Volgograd, Nizhny Novgorod, and Kaliningrad. Yeah. I'm, Three of the yeah. weirder cities. God, but the, well, we were just discussing this before we came on, though. There is, I think there's an element of niceness about that, and that maybe that's what a World Cup should be to an extent, and going to places like the places you wouldn't normally go. Venues you wouldn't normally see. But who's who's the you when you're talking about where you wouldn't normally go? Because are many fans going to travel? Um, it is fundamentally a weird tournament because, and um, we were saying this before, no one knows what's going to go down in Russia. And I, I think, obviously, the most likely scenario by miles is that it's just a normal football tournament. It goes <laughs> off without incident, yeah. you know? Well, but, do you remember, like, South Africa was my first World Cup. And you remember 
for months beforehand, there was so much talk, and obviously it's a different context, but there was so much talk about kind of the crime, um, murder rate in South Africa, and, you know, the potential for this to go badly wrong. the same before Brazil as yeah. well. And, like, it just, and the tournament passed off uh, really serenely. It was, it was a great a great experience. And that's, it's kind of the thing about World Cups. And actually, I was thinking about this in relation to, obviously, the, the vast amount of politics in relation to this, to this World Cup. They're almost a pre-World Cup discussion because once the football starts, the football actually takes over, takes a life of its own, then it doesn't become so much about the host country. It's just about the game itself. Yeah, so we might get, you know, I think most likely, obviously, everything passes off without incident. I said, you know, there is a scenario where down the line we look back and it's like, why did all these people, or these Western people, so willingly stroll into a country with whom kind of the West was vir- is virtually at war right now? Um, it is peculiar, especially when... The increasingly obvious, uh, how, how do you describe it? Like the stuff in the Sunday Times this weekend is increasingly obvious that Putin and Russia had an enormous influence in breaking up the EU, convincing Britain to leave the EU uh, in the Brexit vote. Whatever they've done to America, you know, where they've uh, essentially driven a wedge between America and, and most of their big Western allies, the, the G8, um, by putting Trump in the White House and, and the absolute lunacy that's going on there. So it is peculiar that yeah. held in it's, Russia. And this, and this was something we never could have foreseen 10 years ago kind of when they won it. This is also the thing, I mean, it's definitely the most politicised World Cup since 1978, um, but in a different way because it's much more international. I mean, it was actually last night, a friend sent me on the um, the speech by the uh, the Argentine dictator in 1978 to open the ceremony. And he's talking about, you know, a tournament of inclusion and... Uh, you know, uh, and and unity, and this is at the same time as the secret police are throwing out of people out of planes into the South Atlantic. Yeah. Um, so it's. Well, did you read the piece in the Observer about? It was comparing this to to um, the nineteen thirty eight Olympics, yeah, yeah. which is obviously. So that was a bit strong. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I, I'd say, and I, that was kind of my, my thought process was, yeah, that is too strong. But what if it's not far behind? Yeah. yeah. What if it is not far behind? What if what if we are heading into something we shouldn't be? But then. I, I was actually discussing this with uh, a friend last night. And and where I come down on it is, if we are strolling into, not we're not strolling into 1938 Berlin, but if, if we're strolling into a, a situation of, of historic significance, I want to make sure the history's recorded correctly, you know? Mm. Um, and I think there there is um, a, a peculiar context to Russia hosting it, and, it, and it, the whole thing is, is very weird. But, I think that Russia's main priority, actually, out of this whole World Cup, is that nothing should happen that would shame Russia. Yeah, um, and that's why I expected to go off pretty much without incident. Um, we should move on to the football, just because <laughs> you could spend an hour talking about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and well, that's and what we're saying. And that what, isn't why people listen to it. <laughs> the podcast, uh, you know, the Indie Russia podcast, is coming in October 2018. So, um, what do you think then, heading into this World Cup? What you know, what are the major the major themes that stand out that pop out at you. Uh, first of all, I actually think this is for all the talk about, or the justifiable talk about the decline of the international game compared to the club game and all that. I think this actually could be the strongest World Cup in decades. Maybe there's probably no team at the level of Spain 2010 or France 2000, say the one that actually won the Euros two years after 98, but. I think the quality of the top six to eight size, maybe particularly top six, is ridiculously high. Uh, I actually think that's connected to um, 
the club game because basically the major European nations, France, Germany, Spain, now England, if a little more belatedly, which is why a lot of people in on on the continent I think England will be winning international tournaments within the next decade but they basically got to act together and started essentially industrialising talent production so it's what we see now so I think it has I mean, one of the trends of recent World Cups is almost kind of a group stage has it quite vibrant because of the group stage it's the wall to wall football that we all love but then it kind of tapers out as a like, tension takes over as the competition goes on just kind of some underwhelming knockout games I think hopefully it could actually be the opposite this time where we have an epic last eight and I, I think because it doesn't actually happen that often where the, the the last eight is really filled with all the heavyweights. The way the, way the draw is panned out, it, it is set up for that. But you do, yeah, you do sometimes get like a, say, Brazil versus Mexico, which is mm. like, it's fine, but it's like, you know, Mexico yeah. are always going to be underdogs against, against Brazil. Uh, and you prefer the games like that to be in the round of 16. But yeah. I feel like... I, I kind of like Chile like Brazil last time, that was great. They're about eight, nine, ten good teams. Yeah. So, so it would be good to see that. I think... Um, we also probably expect to see. We've talked about how teams will be more defensive and stuff. Mm. I think that's uh, pretty much a given. We've talked yeah. about extensively about international football. But what I believe is that teams who have kind of lots of there are plenty of teams that have just one kind of standout player. Mm. And I think lots of these teams are basically setting their team up to allow that one player to shine. Yeah. And we've seen it with Brazil before. Argentina obviously build everything around and with a, a view to Messi making them successful and, and to being successful for Messi and with Messi. Um, Colombia, James Rodriguez and obviously mm. Falcao, but I still think that's going to be Falcao. I think that's going to be James' team. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when they went into 2014 and, and, and it was Falcao's team enormously, he was the best striker in the world at the point and then he gets that tragic injury mm. and it became James' team and, he, and originally he was playing on the left of a 4-2-2-2 and it thrust him centre stage in every yeah, possible yeah. way and then he had one of the great World Cups, really, actually. I think mm. individually as a player, James was yeah. extraordinary um, in Brazil. So I think we might see these teams setting up to make one but player really stand out. The one thing I was thinking about when I did my, my preview, um, which I have to say, for, the, for when I was writing it, for the first time I got really excited about the World Cup, but the, the expectation, maybe what, like, I suppose 2010 was a very defensive tournament in general. Euro 2016 was a very defensive tournament. I think maybe the expectation would have been for this trend to continue, yet in 2014, that was a really, really attacking group stage. Mm. And maybe, oh, the hope is this might be similar. I mean, it does feel like maybe by Uruguay, the South American teams haven't become as kind of uh, as cautious as mid-tier European sides. It, South American qualifying is so much harder than mm. the European one, I think. Um, the level of football is is very competitive. Or even, like, because even the bad teams mm. away from home are really difficult to beat. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think that, yeah, you know, usually we have, like, a Paraguay who are really, really solid and, and run Always loads. <laughs> they're really dull, but, yeah, but, you know, they're, they're solid. Okay. <laughs> when, when was the last good Paraguay World Cup oh, game? Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> but they are fundamentally a team that is just rugged and yeah. difficult to beat. Chile, obviously, missing is, is tough, but... They're not quite as exciting as, yeah. as you know. They're they're not the San Paulo and Bielsa team that, yeah. that everyone's fallen in love with. They're not the team that finally gave Chile a footballing identity. So, so what have we got? We've got Colombia, who um, are a fascinating team. Who play? They've got a great coach in mm. Peckerman. They've got some very good players. Mm. They've got some obvious weaknesses, um, and that's pretty much a blueprint, I think, for a lot of that's those second tier yeah. teams. Um, there are lots of teams with obvious weaknesses. 
Uh, the, 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 there are how many squads do you reckon who you look at their first eleven? You think, okay, bang. That, there's not really an obvious black hole there, and I'd say it's probably like France, Spain, Spain, yeah, especially, especially Spain of Diego Costa. Right, uh, but did you read the Diego Torres piece about this? No, uh, Diego Torres wrote a very good piece about um, how Costa is is a great striker for a, a team that is um, defensive and reactive yeah. and counter-attacking, and and that will never fit with what Spain does. Yeah. That's why. That's what you know. Spain have had a great trouble over the last four or five years, basically mm. post Villa, finding someone to play in the number nine. Well, was, I was actually I was looking, I was researching last week. I was watching all of the Spain twenty ten stuff. And when you look back at it, first of all, Villa is basically the perfect fit. It's, it's amazing how it all came together for mm-hmm. them. He's a perfect fit for that team. Um, but, I mean, that must have been probably the most balanced. Probably, I think in, the, in terms of the quality of the 11, how it oh, fits yeah. together, one of the best sides ever. And not, not just in terms of the success, I mean, but how well. It was such a perfect uh, football unit. Well, you know, and, and the thing with, with Villa like, and, and what happened when he went to Barcelona and he started playing from the left. Yeah. Um, because... It opens up such different possibilities mm. for you, and, and I half think Lopetegui might try that with with someone like Rodrigo Moreno. Yeah, um, basically having a centre forward coming off the flank because they've had so many problems just trying to find someone who could play yeah. through the middle. Intra, I was talking to someone in um, in UEFA about uh, two weeks ago, and they were talking about a seminar they were at with Vicente del Bosque shortly after Euro twenty twelve, and one of the big discussions was during that tournament was playing without a striker, and he like del Bosque was kind of open talking about how. Yeah, well, we just didn't have a a, a a player, a striker of sufficient fitness or form at that time to play with our system. So, what, so you know, people said it was uh, defensive or whatever. What, what, what it was, was how he explained how basically yeah, yeah. with so many attacking players, they would, they would constantly move the ball from left to right, knowing that eventually the space would open oh, for, yeah, for, yeah. for one of them to get in. Yeah, and I think um, it's why I'm interested in how Spain does because they've got players who can make the most of that. Mm. Um, it, it's still difficult. There are still question marks over Lopetegui. I think he's good, but there are still question mm. marks over him. Obviously, um, I, I mean, we talked about this in um, in podcasts past, but I think we should probably talk about your big preview that you've done. That's on the website now. Um, it, it has got you excited for the World mm. Cup, etc. It brings together a lot of the the themes of this, which are. This is an event that the World Cup is an event that unites a lot of people, and mm. it, it's a very rare event where, and I think you wrote in there that it feels like, and when you're at when you're at a game at the World Cup, it, you do feel like the eyes of the world are on this game. Yeah. The entire world, the entire footballing world, is watching this game, which you never feel, even if you're at like a Man United Liverpool. Yeah, you never feel quite like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's very few occasions. The Champions, Champions League, League final, yeah. 100 meters final of the Olympics. Um, World Cup games are mm. kind of the few occasions where you do really feel like, wow, the world is watching. Well, I think I, went, I actually I went through some of the stats, and like in so many countries, some of the you know the most watched broadcasts in history are still kind of World Cup matches. Yeah, um, and I, even 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 in England or, or the UK, it's actually the, the nineteen sixty six final trumps Diana's funeral by yeah. two hundred thousand people. Apparently. I mean, just while Johnny's not here for another reprisal of a oh, well. half hour dissection of Diana's funeral, but. Um, <laughs> This World Cup is, you know, we say it's it's different, but the fact is that I think people will still be excited for this mm. as ever. We're we're kind of in a time where football and footballers particularly have the biggest brands they've ever had. Yeah, and we still have in this World Cup some of the 
the biggest names in sport that are going to be there. Um, more looking at the possibility for who's going to win it, who's going to do well, who's going to not do well. Do you think there's a a big gap in terms of quality? Do you think... I, I was looking at the teams, I think Brazil are clearly the favourites. Yeah. I think that's reflected in the odds. I think Brazil have the... I, I the, the combination, the com- I know, I, you, I know you're in love with Spain, but Brazil. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, Brazil have. No, but objectively speaking. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, and analytically speaking. Yes, and if Ireland were there, they'd be your second favourite. <laughs> well, yeah, but um, Brazil are the. Have the I think they've got the best combination of, of coach and a really good team. Yeah. Which is massive. I think Spain have a really good team. Question mark over the striker position. Not because of the quality of players there, but just because yeah. they haven't made that position work for like three, four, five years now, which is a concern. Lopetegui, um, I'm I'm willing to believe he's good, mm. but we've seen him fail Porto, elsewhere yeah. at Porto. Um, France, really good squad, like probably the mm. deepest squad, but Didi Deschamps, I'm still not having it. Four, uh, you know. When you watch France, and this even got, I mean, Pogba in some ways personifies the entire problem. It feels like they've got so many talents. But Deschamps doesn't feel like completely equipped to make the best out of him. I mean, they've arguably them and maybe England have got the fastest team of the tournament um, among the top tier. But like, it it doesn't feel like they can completely utilize that. Players who have played under him uh, that I've talked to just don't rate Deschamps. Mm. They really don't think he's good. Um, and it would have been interesting if they if they come in with someone else. Uh, they haven't. So France are kind of in that same bracket for me Argentina a bracket below that because there are such obvious holes in that yeah. squad um, but, this, this, but they have got Messi but this, well yeah uh, but this, I, this I do believe you got I think you have to I, I believe they can do anything yeah, with him yeah, exactly. no, I we've seen agree. it before four years ago the, the one thing though with Sampaoli I mean he, he's probably one of the best coaches in the tournament but I do wonder are they just is that is it almost that kind of uh, nothing nothing just quite fits up with the way it should but as in they finally appointed the right coach when they should have done this kind of four or five years ago. Um, he probably would have been ideal for one of those Cop Americas they had. But now they have him and he wants to play a specific style of football when he doesn't have the defenders. And when this do it, for once he doesn't need to kind of front load an attack because he's got... It almost feels like they should actually do what he did in 2014 and basically just, when you've got Messi, keep things tight. Sabella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and keep, keep things as tight as possible and let, let Messi do it. The thing is... Uh, they have got the right coach in San Paolo. Yeah. They've got the best coach that they could have got, I think. But probably Simeone. Yeah. Well, yes, but uh, as I said, that, that would have required that job share thing, mm-hmm. which I don't think Atletico would have ever uh, agreed to. They aren't necessarily. They don't look like a San Paolo team yet. Mm. I don't think he's had enough time to get into them what he wants. I think when he took over, they just had to get to the tournament. Yeah. So. It, it wasn't really about like all oh, try and play my way. It's just like it, let's just get the wins we mm. need, and they win that last qualifier away at Ecuador, which is massive because it's a tough place to go. And suddenly they're there, great. So you've got six friendlies, you've got mm. three international breaks. They've got February, March, um, and, and then, then this one. Yeah. So they had uh, so that's six friendlies you get. Um, in those friendlies, they they, they beat a rubbish Italy side that mm. failed to qualify for the World Cup. A um, couple of like, average results. Thrashed by got Spain. Smashed by Spain. The only thing about that Spain one. game, it was relatively even first half. Then Spain got ahead and they made loads of changes and that was yeah. Good. No, no, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. But they got they got beaten by Spain. Like they got properly beaten mm. by Spain. And then their their World Cup warm up games. Uh, they played Haiti. Well. Yeah. And then their trip to Israel was cancelled um, for a variety of reasons. 
But fundamentally, their preparation has been one of the worst of any of the yeah. teams. They've now lost Manuel Lanzini. I don't think that's a big deal for them. Although Messi really likes Lanzini, doesn't he? Yeah, but, but I just think footballistically it's not a big mm. absence. It looks like Enzo Perez is going to come in for them, which actually I think is a good idea because they probably had too many attacking players yeah, and, yeah. And, and they could have done with one more at proper central midfielder. So Enzo coming back in, um, that works for me. The defence is what I worry about. It's just slow more yeah, than yeah. anything. And there are some fast, good players at this World Cup. Yeah. Um, and when you get to the late stages, they will expose you. Like Gabriel Mercado was, was like a okay player at River, and he went to Sevilla, and he's done okay. Yeah, under some. They're, they're on the same okay. side of the draw as France. I think. Imagine Mbappe against that defense. Or beside uh, Fazio, Federico Fazio, <laughs> and, and I think we saw Liverpool Roma exactly yeah. uh, how exposed he could be by speed. So, yeah, there are problems uh, with that team, and then just below that, I think Belgium, England, Portugal are kind of on the same tier. Mm. England. Yeah, eight, they're probably one of the eight to ten best teams there. So quarterfinals would be a good yeah. sort of place for them to but be. And I think even without about England, it's not. It's almost not necessarily about how they finish. Obviously, semi-finals that would be great, and a quarterfinal would be the first time they've done it at a World Cup since two thousand and six. That standard kind of level that they used to, that we used to kind of be almost criticised. Now we just want to get back to. It. But it almost feels like what is important about England's World Cup is the vibe of it that they actually kind of. Put on a bit of show. It's an incredible positivity mm. um, that I I can barely remember a positivity like this around an England score. And I think Gareth Southgate should take huge credit for that. Mm. Um, it only dawned on me, I think, walking to work this morning, that he he's the first former England player to be coached since Hoddle. Is that right? Yes, I think so. I just wonder if that makes a difference. He's been to a modern yeah. tournament, you know? He gets it, I think. A little bit more. He's a little closer in age to those guys. He's very calm. He's very. Yeah, he's, good. he's really good. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, I'd never. Uh, I, before he was England manager, I met him a few times. But when we met him and, and talked to him after England Scotland and in, mm. in Glasgow, that game, the, the weird game where Lee Griffith suddenly became a superhero, yeah. um, really struck me how impressive he was speaking. And you know, speaking isn't isn't mm. everything. There have been loads of good speakers mm. who are rubbish coaches, but it. It bought him enough uh, credit in my mind to give him a, a good shot. I think he's built this team well, this three five two, which is kind of it, it was semi built like Spurs, wasn't mm. it? Let's be honest, because they had a lot of Spurs players in there. Um, I like that he's basically deliberately tried to build a system that will work against weaker teams that mm. sit back. But if he flips that midfield triangle, then he can use it against the good teams in the quarterfinals. And because you have to be able to play both ways in the World mm. Cup because of what we were talking about earlier, the discrepancy yeah. in quality between some of the teams. You you don't want to have to find a completely new shape and, and strategy in two days before playing Brazil mm-hmm. when you've used a different formation throughout the group stage. Yeah. Um, and that what it kind of leads into it, I guess, the point that this isn't the best football on the planet. Johnny's column on Friday mm-hmm. was is the World Cup still the pinnacle of, of football and the answer is no fairly pr- <laughs> comprehensively no but what your preview which everyone should go and read I mean they're both on the website obviously um, or, or in the usual places on social media and Johnny's column about, about the pinnacle and Miguel's massive preview which in what how many words 1200 words ish you, you managed to pretty much distill kind of all the strands going into this World Cup and I just think Rather than just recreate it on the podcast, people should go and li- people should go <laughs> yeah. read it um, to understand what we're talking about. So, do you think that 
it matters that this isn't the pinnacle of football no. anymore? No, because I think it's still, and I mentioned this in the piece, it's still the pinnacle of sport in terms of emotion. I mean, even when it comes right down to it, like the actual significance, I mean, for the distinctive trophy, and I, and I think it's actually so fitting that the trophy itself is so is so unique, because it, uh, it represents something great. I mean, to, to be even, like, having spoken to kind of over the last few weeks um, and done a fair bit of research on, the, on, on obviously the history tournament, but having spoken to kind of like previous champions and all that, like the sense of awe even they still have, kind of just the idea of, on the champion of the world to hold that trophy to touch it I mean I was watching that documentary last week uh, the uh, the one about the, the 2010 Spain side as we referenced earlier and like even the way Ica Casillas and, uh, and Villa just like they 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 almost kind of lost for words in describing the significance of the trophy and I suppose that's what it kind of is getting into in the piece and we mentioned earlier the eyes of the world Ronnie there's like I mean it trumps the Olympics in terms of world appeal it, it's it's basically the sporting occasion that means the most to the most people with, like, you know, kind of, I suppose, elements of nationalism and representing your country, kind of further maximising that. Um, so that it, it, it does have this kind of this transcendent transcendent uh, quality to it. Um, and it just it just feels like it means more, even if the level isn't as good. And I suppose only adding to that is the fact it's kind of has the rarity value of being every four years, uh, Champions League is every year instead. Uh, and it, it's just, it feels like it's on a, on a higher plane in that regard. And it is kind of what you you mentioned in the piece, it's it's immortality. Yeah. Uh, well, this is it. I mean, the other thing, a much more kind of simple joy about the World Cup, if you think about it, like, I think it's true, people people measure their lives by the World Cup. If, you, if someone if someone said to you a famous World Cup moment, like, say, Zidane's headbutt or his header in 98, you're going to remember what you were doing around that time in your life, what was going on, you know, so you're kind of you, you key events from your own life are anchored to to the World Cup. It's completely true, and and, and th- this came to me the other day when we were, we were I was filling out something about I was talking about World Cup memories, and at the time I didn't think much of the 2006 World mm. Cup. You know what I mean? I was like 16, 17 mm. years old, or sick form, I think, and kind of th- what it, what it gave us was opportunities to go around to our friend's house when their parents weren't there and, <laughs> and drink and have a yeah. barbecue and watch watch football matches and stuff um, and like miss the afternoon off school mm. and it was great and it was like it was brilliant absolutely fantastic like the the greatest time but it was just a thing you know and then you carried on and then like, when it finished the rest of the summer you did whatever yeah. but now I look back on it and it, and it is it's a real kind of signpost um, in your life for every single one in 2010 is a different signpost and 2014 uh, was the first one I went to, and that yeah. was obviously a completely different, a completely different experience to to sitting at home and watching it. And World Cup '98, I remember watching it. Uh, just and it, the, it was the first proper World Cup because '94 yeah. was just I was just a little young. But World Cup '98, I remember watching the first game Brazil Scotland, and it, the main thing is the colours. Yeah, just remember yeah, how bright the colours were. Yeah, Brazil's yeah. bright yellow shirt. And the it was a really sunny day, and, and the grass like, the presumably it was yeah. Saint-Denis. Yeah. was bright green yeah. and then the sea of dark blue Scottish shirts mm. and then Cesar Sampao nods home and then um, John Collins yeah. scores a penalty and then um, uh, Brazil come back and win it but it was just that first World Cup that I the, remember the, the was bright technical or sunshine is actually quite key to it as well I think it is because, yeah. you know it is a, because it, more than anything, and actually it's, it's something you don't really talk about we haven't talked mm. about that much with reference to the World Cup is it is summer. You know, yeah. the, the summer element is actually quite crucial. Mm. 
um, because it, it gives it this incredible, these incredible visuals. Yeah, and I, I guess it's only just I, maybe it's it's less pronounced now because we're so used to this. Mm-hmm. And I've actually noticed it on Champions League nights where you know you've got these bright floodlights. Yeah, and it, and it just focuses on like the Bernabeu pitch, and yeah, you've got yeah. Real Madrid against someone mm. else, like Liverpool, for example, It'd be bright red, bright white, bright yeah, green. Yeah. And we've got HD TVs everywhere yeah. now, so everyone's used to it. But I think back in the day, it wasn't. Back yeah, in the yeah. day, where these crap TVs, you know, and you've got well, a 16 that, inch big box in your bedroom. And that, that's why it said 1970 was, I mean, the fact it was the first in colour, uh, broadcast colour, actually, you know, maximised the effect of what Brazil did and all that. Absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it's aesthetics. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and that's what lodges it in people's memories because a lot of people have, have visual memories, mm. you know, where it's remembering what they're seeing and, and they're sat in. A living room looking at a tiny little tv and all i can see these bright beautiful colors and, mm. and you know the famous brazil goal yeah and that motion and and color and emotion stuff that's what lodges it in people's minds and i think i i kind of feel like this world cup feels less sentimental going into it, obviously mm. because um partially because those memories haven't been made yet but do you think um this world cup feel set up for disappointment I actually think it's going to be a good World Cup and I think because there has been a strange feeling this, and even the way I'm referencing myself I only got I only started probably getting excited on Friday despite the fact it was within a week of, of me going when I started writing my preview but I was actually just on like a few WhatsApp groups I kind of you know texted my mates from home and, you know, and I was wondering just are you guys excited about the World Cup one of them immediately responds uh, <laughs> any news on Fecker to Liverpool yeah, <laughs> the, the, the club game has kind of you know dominated to, to that degree. But and I think I'm talking to a few people, there are a lot like that. And it's like they haven't kind of maybe it's the fact that the Champions League final was only two weeks ago, um, and the club game has, has consumed to such an extent. I mean, one thing I think Ken Early discussed this, but I, like I remember in the build up to '98, from kind of March on, there's tons of World Cup ads. Uh, same with two thousand and two. Where that doesn't maybe it's, maybe it's changed in the kind of media as well. And, well, no, no, no. I think I think you're absolutely spot on. I saw someone with someone um, on the commercial side mm. of sport recently, very high up uh, on the commercial side of sport, and he said they've already received more briefs and stuff for the women's World Cup next summer okay. than for the World Cup this summer. Well, um, now there are a few reasons for that. Uh, I think brands see the positive. Uh, side of being associated mm. with women's football, I think it, uh, you know it looks inclusive. Mm. Um, it's growing, it's cheaper. Uh, mm. All of the things you think it's in France. Yeah. It's you know it's a much more friendly tournament to be yeah. around, to be associated with. Especially, um, you know, I, I think there are far more openly gay footballers in women's football mm. than there are in men's football. Uh, and with Russia, obviously, that is a concern. That is a problem. Um, Russia has its own image problem mm. i guess is the only way to put it and, and brands might not necessarily uh, considering brands are usually falling over themselves to be associated with these big football tournaments and i mean every possible brand i mean washing up liquids yeah. chocolate bars whatever they're all falling over themselves there is less of that this summer what you know what they call brand activation yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot less of that around so was a big you thing are I, right when i was growing up i remember like the tenuous link some kind of like chocolate bars everyone would yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to, to kind of connect themselves to the world oh, Cup. of course <laughs> you know like the joe hart mars bar adverts <laughs> and stuff hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. But these, you know, uh, and there's also the, the, the thing that um, brands aren't allowed to use certain words mm. to advertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I saw an advert for one of the one of the bookmakers yesterday, which was like, Trying to be a World Cup advert without yeah. using the words World Cup, yeah, yeah. Russia, the great 2018, festival of summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, the foot goal. You know, like, and, and you're going to see some of that for sure. Mm. But I do think there's less of a build up, certainly less before Brazil. Before Brazil, when um, I was with a previous employer, we had a thing for months before, which was a series every Monday after the Premier League weekend. And it was like, who, which England player would help their claim to the squad, mm. which England player would had diminished it and we had this interactive thing called on the plane mm. where you could it was like a air to airport departures board mm. where you could put your players in and fill the squad out i've not seen much of that this no, year no, i just yeah. feel like there's much less of a build-up much less of an interest in in who england are taking and stuff and, and the premier league and the champions league has completely taken over perhaps if if the title had been done really early like it mm. was but there was no english interest in the champions league we would have been more on that yeah um instead it doesn't feel like that's been the case it feels like this World Cup has kind of snuck on, a, snuck up on it's a lot a bit of, of that. people. Yeah, um, but, uh, but I think that's why, and I, cause I do think it will be good. I think it'll be better than Euro twenty sixteen. Uh, I think people. Did you know what, what was wrong with Euro twenty sixteen? I think it was actually it was, France was great. It was in, ter- in, ter- in terms of off the pitch, incredible host. It was the best tournament yeah. I've been to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just on the pitch, it was mostly a dull tournament. It kind of summed up with a final, which was kind of a strange game. There was some good moments too, obviously, but mm. it was quite defensive. There is an element. And I think uh, I think I might write something to this effect this week, probably when I'm feeling sentimental on the plane. Um, is that these things don't come around very often? Um, you know, I I don't know if I want to go to the next World Cup in Qatar. That's one I really don't really? don't agree with at all. Yeah. So you know, and I don't know where I'm going to be in 2026 what? for a start. I'm going to be bloody old. I, I was actually thinking there's probably piece to do in this as well on the arrangement we make with ourselves and the World Cup to watch if there are ethical mm. dimensions. I mean, I suppose as journalists, we're in a different situation because, I mean, there's the old argument about whether, you, should, whether you, you know you should boycott covering Qatar or even Russia, but yet at the same time, as a journalist, even if you are just a sports journalist as opposed to a news journalist there, you have a duty to cover it. Um, but it, it is probably true how much you're willing to overlook for the sake of... Uh, yeah, and I think there can't be an overblown sense mm. of... of of duty when you're a sports journalist you know sport isn't life and death mm. most of the time mm. when it is obviously that's um somewhat <laughs> somewhat rare yeah but but also um a circumstance in which you just have to be there in the instant mm. but i don't i don't equate russia and qatar quite i think they're slightly different things like for me russia would be a legitimate host even if they might not have won the bid mm. in the most straight way um Qatar was never a 
legitimate host. Um, and, and on top of that, I think that you know the, the human rights abuses and well, all the things that go on there are far worse. But just, I was discussing this with someone yesterday just about how the argument about who gets to host the World Cup. And like one of the we were talking about the usual predictable responses. Oh well, where do you draw the line? I mean, look what you know Britain or yeah, U- yeah, US yeah, yeah. Are involved in kind of in terms of kind of foreign military in- interventions. But and you know that is a fair question, but still it's a bit of overblown moral relativism. I mean, probably your the line should really be a country's relationship with human rights. Yes, <laughs> which uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's questionable with both of the hosts in 2018 and particularly 2022. Yeah, um, but but the main thing for me with with this, and I know it's not an easy sell going into Russia and, and all these things, but it is the World Cup, mm-hmm. and uh, the world has got a lot worse in the last two years. Basically, the start of Euro 2016, it's hard to remember this, <laughs> the start of Euro 2016, uh, things were much simpler. Uh, th- you know, it was, was in the EU. <laughs> it was during it was during that. I remember I remember very vividly waking up in in Nice. I think it was an I'd been at Italy Sweden the night before Slatan's final international game, and uh, they <laughs> I woke up and I had a lot of angry texts from people and <laughs> yeah and you know that all hell broke loose and I ended up spending like eight hours on a baking hot train that day. Just no one had a clue what was going on, and it was. I was living in Spain actually at the time mm. as well, so it was more of a like, what happens now? Because am I going to have to move back to London? Like, what's the situation? But that was only the start, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we that was six months down. Yeah, the line. yeah, six months down. The Although, line. of course, according to one um, one former Labour spokesman who's prominent on social media, concern over Brexit is more than a middle 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 class lifestyle concern. Uh, uh, yes, well, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> he knows what he is. Um, I think, you know, beyond the Brexit thing, then you have the Trump yeah. stuff. We've got people like Viktor Orban in uh, Hungary yeah. who are deeply, deeply concerning individuals. Uh, and, and I suppose key to that is then is the oh, the focus put on Russia within all of this. I mean, the kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the subtle power of you. <laughs> but this, this, this is why it's significant. The relations with Russia in, in early 2016, 2015... Mm-hmm weren't that bad there was a big issue over ukraine which is right and and that is my you know one of my biggest concerns about russia is Mm. they are still occupying you know a sovereign state Mm. basically and not to mention if you want to go into the the other areas crimea um abkhazia Mm. uh, south ossetia all of these places um not to mention chechnya tatarstan you know it's a big thing obviously in the former soviet union but because of Russia's role in that, which is now becoming open to the public, I think lots of people have thought it for a long time, and I think in the intelligence communities and stuff, I think they've known mm-hmm. these things obviously a lot before, a lot, long time before the public, that Russia played a role in in some of mm-hmm. the way that these things have unravelled, which is why there is this tenseness and there is this different relationship going into Russia this summer. But there's a lot of pretty grim stuff going on in the world, and there's very quite often it feels like there's not much of a release from that yeah because it is a an unrelenting front page catalog of doom mm. and for one month we might have an opportunity to kind of push it aside at least the global party that, that's what it is yeah you know and, and i don't think russia itself is going to be the global party mm. that say brazil was yeah you know because brazil did feel like it felt 
special because and, and Brazil again unique because okay there weren't a huge amount of Europeans actually there but 100,000 Colombians drove mm. across for their first game at the World Cup since 98 all the Chileans that drove yeah. the Argentinians and stuff the South they, again my, my, my highlight of oh, that tournament I suppose probably the many times you heard uh, the Simicus yeah yeah it was great the Simicus is in yeah no the, the Argentinians made that made that World Cup mm. uh, in many ways and and you know I, I say I love the, the Chileans coming across the, the Uruguayans making the trip and the whole Suarez thing was incredible mm. but this won't have the party feel I don't think on the ground in Russia mm. but what I think this might be for a lot of people is the glorious distraction yeah this is the glorious distraction and we can look away from like all it, because it's 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 great it's very grating all these things that are fundamentally depressing things yeah. and, and things that normal people like us have no control over mm-hmm. you know like we you know watch football and we go to the pub and we like see friends play five aside go on holiday whatever mm-hmm. like that's our lives we can't control things like brexit and foreign elections yeah. and all these sorts of things and you see all these terrible things going on and you are kind of powerless to them all but what we can do is kind of just get stuck into a world cup which is going to show the best and worst of yeah of people and sport and i'm kind of in for that now i'm yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. you know i'm pretty sick of all the other stuff that's gone on around it like personally i don't feel like we've put so much into this world cup now in terms of like a year of planning and yeah so yeah that i'm ready to just get there and for the football to start russia's i can't wait for russia saudi arabia just because it's yeah no, then it's it. underway mm. once the ball started rolling we react to everything at mm. the moment it's all planning yeah planning's the worst yeah i hate planning Reacting and, and uh, looking at what what's happened and, and why it's interesting and explaining it in the context of everything that's gone on is what's going to this World Cup's going to mm. be about. And yeah, as I say, hopefully just a a step away from the kind of not the misery of everyday life because that sounds pretty grim, mm. but it's certainly a, a step away from the humdrum, you know. Yeah. And if I was just in an office, you know, which are a lot of people i know i mean working in offices and stuff like that you got the bbc website up you're watching <laughs> like whoever it is senegal against poland yeah. dot, and a tiny little window in the top corner of it. like that's kind of like it's just a little relief yeah you know yeah, it's yeah. just a little relief for even that's just from your day job even that's just between two and three o'clock in the afternoon mm. while your boss is out being able to snatch 45 minutes of sadio <laughs> mane shredding yeah, yeah. gregor Krakowiak or whatever it, it's fun because mm. you're never going to see that yeah you yeah, know yeah. you're never going to see that again in, in the same way that teams have qualified for this world cup for the first time in ages there might be teams here who don't qualify for another world cup for 20 years yeah and that's important that's important for these countries um, not, i mean like especially having grown up in a in a smaller country and that's my, my first world cup memory i i mean i was probably i was probably 1990 i was probably too i was six so too young to consume the world cup in the way kind of you, you really do as a kid which i really did in 94 i taken every detail in but I can still vividly remember everything around all the Irish games, and like there was the fervor around it was like nothing I've ever seen since. Because it was it was a first World Cup, it was it was so it was so huge. Yeah. Um, no, I I mean I completely uh, th- those the golden generation World Cups where mm. England were actually there mm. was expectation on England were, were quite something. Yeah. Um, in my memory, the, the weather was always glorious as well, which doesn't seem right <laughs> for, for England, but. They were, yeah. uh, and you look at the like the team at the the 2006 World Cup, and like, the names in there, yeah. like the Beckham, Scholes, Lampard, Gerrard, Owen, Rooney, like mm. all these guys. It's like 
England did have a hell of a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the O2 teams, I think Jack, Jack Pitbrook sent us those teams the other day. Yeah. Um, and he, he's actually calling me, so we should ring him in a second to talk about <laughs> England. But the, those teams from the 2002 World Cup quarterfinal were just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Bar Danny Mills... Uh, be nice Hesky. be nice to Emil and uh, well no I mean that's not saying they weren't good players and what they did but when we're talking about the uh, the star level of the players yeah. there's kind of it's, it's quite incongruous and the three I think Trevor Sinclair as well who was you know, all three good useful players serving a tactical role in the team but yeah when you're kind of thinking of uh, the star quality of the side they wouldn't necessarily match up also Rocky Jr. was in the Brazilian side but anyway that's they were still brilliant teams and like yeah, AC Milan's Rocky Junior, yeah, part, yeah. as opposed to Leeds United's Rocky yeah, yeah. Junior. Um, we should ring Jack, okay. um, yeah. just to just to get him in. So if you allow me to dial the phone, and hopefully he'll be up in a second. Okay, Jack. Hello. I think I've got you. How are you doing? First of all, and uh, you're at Heathrow now, so you're looking forward to jetting off. Hi, Ed. I'm very well, thanks. I'm currently at Heathrow Terminal Five, just about to fly to St. Petersburg. Uh, from where I'll go on to Rapino, where England are based. Um, and I'll be covering the England team, their press conferences, all of their games, as long as they're in the tournament, as well as doing other matches in St. Petersburg. Having never been to a World Cup before, I'm very, very excited. Jack, what do you think are the expectations within the England camp itself as regards how they'll perform? I'd say there's a very positive atmosphere in the England camp. Um, positive rather than rather than having a strong expectations in terms of doing well. Uh, but I think that both from Southgate and the young sort of forward looking squad that he has picked means that England do England are hopeful of playing well. Uh, they're hopeful of entertaining people. I don't think they necessarily expect to win it or maybe to make it even to you know to make it into the semis or the final. But uh, it does feel like there's a big atmosphere change compared to the last few tournaments that England have been in, um, regardless of how well they actually do. I mean, that seems about right. But what what do you expect from them personally? Like, is a quarterfinal success? Because that's what everyone's talking about. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There seems to be a real kind of unanimity of expectations from certainly people outside the camp, which is quarterfinals, both in the sense of thinking that's how well England will do, but also thinking that that would be a success. I mean, they, it, you know, it would be a disaster if they were not to get out of the group. Uh, but that said, I do think that this England team, given how they play and the way that the speed with which they move the ball, are actually better equipped to beat teams like Tunisia and Panama than they have been for years. I mean, we, you know, who can forget England nil Slovakia nil in 2016 or England nil Algeria nil in 2010, England nil Costa Rica nil in 2014. Um, but I, yeah, I'm kind of confident that England will win a few games well in the group stage. And to be honest, I think that that is, that is a big part of what people want from this England team, right? It's people want this England team to just play well once or twice and put two or three goals past the lesser team, which sounds really easy, but obviously England have found it hard. Then in the last 16, we'd have one out of uh, Poland, Colombia, Senegal, Japan. Uh, I think you know, England, Colombia would be a great game. I think that I think even then I think that would probably be a 50-50. You know, you'd have to give England a very good chance of going through there. Uh, and then obviously, you know, a quarter final against a much stronger team, um, probably Germany or Brazil, I think. And you know, I don't think we would go into that game with much of an expectation of England winning. Uh, but 
if we were to do that, that is, if we were to get through to a quarter-final and lose to a much stronger team, that would be seen as a big success. I mean, it would obviously be our first quarter-final in a World Cup since 2006, which, you know, at which we had, England had a much, much stronger team. Uh, and I think people would be pretty happy with that as an outcome. I mean, obviously, you know, who, who knows how things will t- turn out over the next few weeks. And, you know, we might go on, England might go out under very different circumstances. But, like, plotting out that, what I think is probably the most likely route uh, at the World Cup, I think, I, th- I think people would be okay with that. And away from England, who are you fancying to, to do some damage? I think my personal tip for the World Cup is Spain. I just think they've got so much experience. You know, the experience of winning those three tournaments in a row. Uh, they've got, plus, they now have the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, they've got so much strength and depth in midfield. I guess the only question you would ask of them is centre-forward. You know, they famously, they took an unfit Diego Costa to Brazil four years ago, and it didn't really work out. But then I... I wonder whether their failure there was more to do with the end of the kind of Del Bosque era than Costa himself. If they can certainly if they can get Costa fit and firing, then I would certainly make them favourites. Even without Costa, you wonder whether they might be able to you know, play without a centre forward as they did, uh, you know, as they did in 2012. Um, lots of people like Brazil. I'd be a bit reluctant to say them because I mean it'd be interesting to see how sharp Neymar is, having not played for a few months. And also the loss of Dani Alves and having to play Danilo instead, who's nowhere near as good, might hurt them. Uh, although they do, I mean, they, they do have so much experience and quality. Beyond that, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I think we'd all love to see Argentina win it, particularly inspired by Lionel Messi. But you wonder how much how much they have in other parts of the team. Um, Germany, I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly excited by. Uh, France got some fantastic players, but you do wonder where... I mean, the big question for me in Euro 2016 was, can you get the most out of Pogba and Griezmann at the same time? Because Pogba wants to play in sort of number 10, and Griezmann wants to drop off as a second striker, and it's difficult to make the two work together. Um, so, yeah, th- I mean, those are my unoriginal picks, but I'd, I'd, if I had to pick one, I'd say Spain. OK, one final question. Who is the one player you'd like to have a big World Cup? I'd love to see David Silva and Andres Iniesta have one last great World Cup. Obvi- I mean, obviously, Iniesta is slightly older and has now left European club football. Uh, but, you know, they are two all-time greats who we've all loved watching for the last 10, 10 to 12 years. Um, so that they really stand out beyond that. Um, to be honest, I'd love to see Paul Pogba have a great World Cup. You know, he, it seems stupid that you have to say this, but he, he's an incredible player. Like, I know it's not worked out for him at United and under Jose Mourinho, but there's not really anyone else like him in the world game. And he's such a kind of... He's such a big figure and big person that I, I'd be thrilling to see him really take some games by control by himself. Um... And I think that's it, really. Oh, yeah, and James Rodriguez. I mean, he, he's kind of not really done anything since those those amazing games for Colombia four years ago. But again, he's still young. He's still very talented. I, I remember actually writing a piece during the 2014 World Cup saying Neymar might be good now, but James is going to be the biggest star of the next four years, which even by the standards of my predictions turned out to be a particularly bad one. Uh, but if he could have a few good games for Colombia, that would be great to see, even if it might come at England's expense in the last 16. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, mate. I will possibly see you in Russia. Um, we're, you'll, you'll definitely bump into Miguel. I'm not sure if... We'll be doing uh, England-Belgium together. Yes, uh, group stage, yeah. And, actually, and the final. 
Uh, that's, that's two we got confirmed. So uh, the, the one I I might I might see him if England do the round of sixteen mm. at Spartak Stadium. I think that requires them to finish second. Yeah. In their group, they would be playing against Colombia. What about Rostov and Don if they finish top? Or Senegal probably. But I'll be there. Next, this, actually, next this time next week I'll be in Rostov and London. Um, indeed, and and this time tomorrow, uh, you and I will be on the plane to Russia. Yeah. Which probably feels getting a, ready for Russia. As good a time. Uh, Can't help doing that in a Chris Waddle voice after t- 2016. Um, do you not think? <laughs> I mean, what what's the what's the one team you'd like to see win the World Cup? <laughs> um, that's not a trick question. Well, you know, I'm half Spanish, so. Oh, right, okay, yeah. that's cheating. Uh, I don't Outside know, Spain, okay, uh, 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 Argentina. I want Messi to win it. Margentina, you call them, which I think uh, yeah. the, the, the cross of Messi yeah, and Argentina yeah, yeah. works. <laughs> um, what's the team you'd least like to see win the World Cup? Uh, I think either Brazil or Germany because Bugs would be so boring. Uh, Brazil have won it five times and all that. And it feels like Ch- uh, Chiche has obviously done a great job and this is a good squad, but it still feels like it's one of these periodic things that there's still massive problems in Brazilian football and this will just further allows them to kind of mm-hmm. get away with it a bit. Yeah. And Germany is just a bit. I think about 2014, was that 2014? And there was only actually two games where Germany played well, which one of them was obviously the seven-one, which is one of the greatest World Cup games ever. Um, but it still felt like it just got to the point where because they have more money than anyone, and because they've basically industrialized foot, uh, youth production in Germany, they just have this critical mass of quality, which means they'll always be there, thereabouts. And that was almost felt the case in twenty four. I think afterwards, I think there might have been some phrase from Yogi Love. He said, "This is the natural end of a process," like which kind of just <laughs> it's a bit, you know, you, this you, feeling that it's a very mechanical thing. You to prefer it. football as art rather than <laughs> yeah. some sort of scientific factory yeah. uh, process, which I think is fair. I think you know, lots of people do prefer to. Again, nothing against Brazil or Germany is a nation. It would, it would just be a bit like, oh, again, I can get more on board with Brazil because I feel like they, you know, they've hired a good coach who's actually going to try and do the right thing, mm. and, and that's going to propel them to being better than some of their parts, which are usually quite good parts. Although, having been in Brazil in 2014, a lot of the fervour around the Neymar injury and all that, and then what the build-up to the 20, to the semi-final put me off a little bit. There's, there was a bit of a... Well, uh, that was a very... A bit of an arrogance period, about it. A very intense period, mm. of, you know, a very difficult thing to happen for them. Um... The one, who's the one player from any team that you'd love to see have a great World Cup? Um, I know it's very obvious. Like, I can't go for Messi because think some of the. I thought you were going to go for Iniesta. I would like Iniesta as well. Yeah, yeah. If Iniesta like really that. had like one yeah, of those yeah. World Cups where he was the standout player, did anti two thousand six? It would be a nice sort of yeah. bow out moment. Yeah. But I, I think, given a lot of the complete bollocks around the Messi debate, it would be not. I, I'd it like to see hand- it. No, just I agree. To, I agree. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, th- I think people that that do believe Messi is is the greatest footballer to have ever played the game, and, and oh, he's certainly the greatest footballer of the modern era for me. Um, I think comparing him with Pele is kind of pointless mm. and, and impossible, really. Yeah, they're, they're playing different sports almost. But um, for me, Messi is the greatest ever, and it would help kind of settle that. Yeah, I'm sure it never will settle that. You know, um, the player you'd least like to see have a really good World Cup. Uh, oh, that's, that's, that's a bit that's a bit harsh in this one, isn't it? Go. Uh, I haven't really thought about that. Put them on the line. Um. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I do, I do like Ronaldo. I like, <laughs> I, I like, I like, I like him. I think he's obviously one of the best players ever. But because of, 
I think the way it fires this debate, if you do it like, I mean, the way the way Euro twenty sixteen was painted, despite the fact that like he, he did, he got injured in the final because he watched his Edair won it. Like, and yet it was painted oh, what well, he's done on the international stage now. You know, it's just <laughs> this is what it would lead into. But then, no. but then, I, but then I like I actually I, I like Ronaldo himself. So, um, so it's Ronaldo. Um, and 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 finally, what do you really want out of this World Cup yourself? A festival of football. I, I do. I want an entertaining game. I want. I hope football is the winner. Yeah, I really, I really um, do hope football is the winner. Dull and cliched an answer <laughs> as Miguel Dani could give you there. Uh, it's no, probably uh, yeah. it's probably the best time. Uh, to wrap things up, do you have anything else you want to say before uh, you depart? Um, no, I mean, that's no. uh, normal. Like a, a programming Dumb. note, I'd say absolutely. Ma- ensure you stay tuned to. Um, Be sure to indie follow football. us on all relevant yeah. social media channels. I mean, channels. like, we've put uh, an incredible amount uh, into this World Cup. Uh, I've nearly lost. Uh, uh, a lot of things over this World Cup, but in, including my marbles. Um, but we've got, hopefully, podcasts every day from Russia, which I think no one else is going to be doing. We're going to have a ton of good content. We've already got a lot of that in the can. Great preview stuff. Um, we're going to have a supplement coming out next week. I mean, stuff that's already out there. Miguel's massive preview, which you can read. Johnny's column, Is the World Cup Still the Pinnacle of the Game? Part 2 of his exclusive interview at home with Gary Lineker, talking about Lineker's World Cup experiences, which, as with Johnny's uh, work, is exceptionally written, as always. Uh, Jack Pitbrook has done some absolutely brilliant, brilliant interviews before this, including one with Salif Jow on Senegal's 2002 World Cup campaign, which is obviously historically excellent for that country. Um, Tim Borowski on Germany 2006. We've got Marcel Desailly and William Gallas talking about World Cup 98 and how France won that. There is so much stuff, uh, way, way, way beyond um, all those things I've just said. Um, we've also, we're going to have a World Cup newsletter every morning. So if you want um, a newsletter which is going to be written personally, handwritten, uh, actually not handwritten, on a laptop, <laughs> but by one of us, um, that will be sent out every morning. So you've got that in your email inbox by 7am. So if you're on the website, You'll see little sign-up boxes for that. Please make sure you sign up for that. We'll also make sure we tweet that out. Um, if you're not following us on Twitter, it's at IndieFootball um, or at Independent um, for, for the relevant guys, at Jack Pitbrook, at Miguel Delaney, at Jonathan Liu, at mm. uh, EAA Malian, at MJ Critchley. Like, the other guys are going to be out in Russia. Uh, we're also going to have uh, stuff going on our Facebook page. So please search out The Independent Sport on Facebook. Um, and obviously just the website so uh, there's going to be so much around um, you're going to really want to make sure you don't miss it because I think we're probably going to have the best coverage of of any of the English titles going out there Um, as ever thanks for listening thanks for uh, listening all season long uh, the first season of the Indie Football Podcast Um, we get a lot of nice messages and the occasional nasty one but certainly uh, the numbers are on our side in that case and um, if you're not already, just make sure you subscribe uh, and rate and review the podcast because when it comes every day, it'll be thick and fast and uh, hopefully we'll sail up the charts. Uh, Miguel, best of luck in Russia. Thank you. Um, Today's oh, your day. I you feel it. Oh, a bit of Shakira. Yeah. Uh, no, I, um, if I get good at editing podcasts, <laughs> I'm going to start chucking music and stuff in. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully there's no sort of rights issue. Probably but will be. We'll just wait for the legal letter and, yeah. and deal with it from there. Um, in, until then... Um, I will see you in Moscow. Yep. Tomorrow. I'll see you in Heathrow. 
you are seeing it, you know, but I will also tomorrow, <laughs> me and you will both be in Russia and I will see you there. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, if you've got any suggestions for, for things you'd like to hear on the podcast from Russia, behind the scenes stuff, whatever, then please let us know. And also, I forgot to say the bloody Instagram, which is oh, yeah. at the independent sport or yeah. some of that independent sport. <laughs> and there'll be loads of Instagram Something stories like that, and stuff yeah. from behind the scenes. So yeah. thank you so much. Um, really uh, appreciate your listening. And we will see you on the other side. <laughs>